It's your Thursday, Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. We got lots to get to on today's show. Um, Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer from the Star Tribune, joins me here in a little while to talk all things Wolves. All things, that is, except Anthony Edwards. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, the incident after Game 5, Chris and I recorded before that became a thing, but I will I will get into that a little bit later after I talk to Chris. Um, we got uh, some other NBA stuff, a little bit of wild stuff, some twins stuff. First, though, what did I miss? It is... Big time in the NFL right now. Two things on my mind. Not surprisingly, one of them, Aaron Rodgers, introduced at his news conference with the Jets on Wednesday, had a quote that I thought was interesting. And, of course, the NFL draft starts tonight, and the Vikings with some pretty interesting expectations this year. Maybe I will start there. Only have five picks, right? Um, Number 23 overall, then all the way down to 87. Just five picks total. But anytime you introduce the potential that they could take a quarterback into the equation, the draft has a heightened air to it. And we haven't been there for it really in earnest for quite some time, right? Because I say, you know, 2021, there started to be a little bit of speculation. Would they, you know, would they move up, maybe take Justin Fields? That was, you know, at least a, at least a rumor for a while. And they did take Kellen Mond in the third round that year. But a third round pick is not the same level of investment as potentially a first round pick. We haven't been there with this team, at least during the Kirk Cousins era. And, you know, probably before that, not since not since they took Teddy Bridgewater, have they really been in a spot where you thought they are going to draft a quarterback that they need to draft a quarterback that they need to start over at that position. So almost a decade, that Teddy draft was 2014, almost a decade since they've been in that spot. And anytime you start to talk about, could they do this? Could they do that? Um, ben Gessling, we talked with Ben. Um, Andrew Kramer and I talked with Ben about his Vikings mock draft on the Access Vikings podcast a couple days ago. He has them moving up, you know, 10, 12 spots to get a shot at Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, which I thought was interesting. It at least shows their mindset, shows you know, an offensive-minded head coach like Kevin O'Connell. He used to be, of course, an offensive coordinator before he was head coach. Swinging for the fences, maybe wanting a quarterback that he can put his stamp on, that he can help grow into a star in this league. Not just a placeholder, not just an above-average quarterback, but a star in this league. Someone who can elevate this franchise to a Super Bowl. And I think that was a big piece of the O'Connell hire. I think they liked a lot about his organizational skills, his collaboration, his demeanor, things like that. But at the end of the day, quarterback is the most important position on the field the Vikings had not had an offensive-minded head coach in more than a decade because they had Mike Zimmer and Leslie Frazier before him. You know, you have to go back to Brad Childress before you really get to, you know, that quarterback whose whose stamp was offense. And let's be honest, that was the closest the Vikings had been to the Super Bowl um, really in the last, you know, 15, 20 years when Childress was here. I know they got to the NFC title game in 2017, but they got absolutely destroyed in that game. They were a play away from the Super Bowl with uh, with Brad Childress back in 2009, and of course that was with Brett Favre. That's a different, you know, not not developing your own quarterback, but a, an offensive minded coach in this day and age is is important. I think, and especially if you have to draft a quarterback. And I don't think the Vikings have to draft a quarterback this year because they do have Kirk Cousins under contract for another season. But 
if their plan is to play out, if they don't want to have to play a rookie right away, it does make a lot of sense that they draft someone this year, let them sit for a season underneath Cousins, and then take over in 2024. It just makes a lot of sense. You don't necessarily want to play a quarterback right away. It has to be someone pretty special if they are going to play right away. So this this draft is pretty fascinating from that regard. It, they have a lot of needs. They don't have a lot of picks. Quarterback is potentially one of those needs. And if the board falls a certain way tonight, you could imagine them getting up and, and getting to a quarterback. Now, you can also imagine them doing any number of things. You can imagine them taking a corner, a wide receiver, <clears throat> a pass rusher. You could see them trading down, trading out of the first round entirely to get more picks in future years and saying, hey, you know what? I know we've got a lot of needs right now, but we've got a lot of needs in the future as well. Maybe the quarterback we want is in next year's draft, not this year's draft. I don't know. All of it combines to make this a pretty interesting draft for me to watch, for you to watch if you are a Vikings fan. And I'm sure we will all be there tonight seeing what they do at 23 or wherever they ultimately land in the first round. Now, like I said, Aaron Rodgers also on my mind, as he often is. He'll he'll recede from from my from my brain space as he's further away um, with with the Jets. We'll be watching what he does from afar. But I thought it was interesting. His he had a lot of quotes, uh, a lot of memorable quotes from his introductory news conference with the Jets. But one of those things was saying um, the Lombardi Trophy, the one Lombardi Trophy NFL championship that the that the Jets have won, the Super Bowl three, uh, says uh, saying it looks it's looking a little lonely. Um, in, in saying basically, uh, let's let's go win another one, and that's a good line. But it also speaks to me about two things. One, um, obviously, what he's brought in for it, not just to not just to be you know a guy that can help them win a few games, but a guy that ostensibly could help the Jets win a Super Bowl. And they tried that again with Brett Favre 15 years ago. That did not work. But this is a better Jets team, and I think this is a better quarterback that they're getting than when they got Brett Favre around the same age 15 years ago. Number two. I wonder if there's some self-reflection in that as well for Rodgers, who himself <clears throat> has only won one Super Bowl, and that was, you know, that was several years ago. That was 13 years ago now that he won his first Super Bowl. Turned out to be his only Super Bowl. Turned out to be his only Super Bowl appearance so far. A, a quarterback that good, who's been on teams that good with Green Bay, has not made it back to the Super Bowl since very early in his career. That was his third year as a starter in 2010. They kind of came out of nowhere ran the table as a you know as a wild card won the Super Bowl and you you thought man this is a guy that's going to get back there many many more times in his career he has not gotten back there before so I'm wondering if there's some self-reflection in that quote as well time will tell we'll see how good the Jets are with Aaron Rodgers and how good Aaron Rodgers is for the Jets but uh, I found that to be an interesting piece of what he said on Wednesday Twins, by the way, absolutely shellacked by the Yankees in the last game of the series. Kenta Maeda gives up 10 runs in three innings. Going to have to go on the injured list. Again, it sounds like some struggles early on as he tries to come back from Tommy John surgery. Still won the series with the Yankees. Still won the season series with the Yankees for the first time in 22 years. But that's a wrench in their early season pitching plan. However, um, Bailey Ober waiting in the wings. Have to imagine he fits nicely into that last spot in the rotation, pitched well when given a chance a few days ago. Um, you know, has, has pitched well in his Twins career. If, if he can kind of bump up his innings, continue to progress, continue to be a guy who could get into the sixth and seventh inning instead of the fourth, fifth inning, 
Um, he could he could he could anchor he could help anchor you know what's what's becoming a pretty good Twins rotation with obviously Pablo Lopez, um, Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray. Um, even Tyler Malley's pitched pretty well this year too. So if you can go through that rotation and not have you know the the Maeda spot, which has been a weak spot so far, and maybe some of that's health. If you can have that not be a weak spot, that only makes the team stronger overall. So we will see what they do to patch that hole lost against the Yankees, but overall. Two out of three against the Yankees. They will take that any day because they have not done that in a very long time consistently. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I've got Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer, with me of his own free will, um, has joined the Daily Delivery Podcast again. Coming off of 89 games, Chris, where we learned a lot, uh, maybe didn't learn enough about the twin uh, bigs pairing of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert because... Over the course of the year, Towns missed 52 games with that leg injury, that calf strain. But the season is now over. We'll hear more from players on Thursday when they kind of reflect on things, exit interviews and such. But Chris, for now, you're back from Denver. You've had a chance to absorb the playoffs, the play-in, the regular season. Maybe give me the kind of the, the overview of a what was the mood after it all ended from the team and B kind of, how do you, how do you kind of take a, a global view of this now that it's all over? It's always an interesting mood when a, when a season is over, I think that in the immediate after, after Mathers disappointment, obviously. And then, you know, there's kind of a, I don't know, maybe a catharsis or, or something like that where, you know, you know, you don't have to, you know, go through the ringer anymore. And so there's a little bit of, I don't know, not relief isn't the word, but it's, it's, uh, it's not always total disappointment. Um, you know, I think for Anthony Edwards, it was total disappointment though. Um, just based on his mood and, and kind of reactions and comments last night, uh, same for Carl Anthony Towns as well. Um, you know, those guys I thought put up a put up a really good really good fight in game five. They were undermanned, shorthanded because of all the injuries. Um and they were right there. And they had the lead early. They gave it up, but still were there at the end. Almost forced a game six. Um, you know, you 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 always play the game of coulda, shoulda, woulda, um, especially as it pertains to some of the personnel that they were missing. And, you know, is it a different series if Nas Reed and Jaden McDaniels are out there for the whole series. Uh, maybe, maybe they win another game. Maybe it doesn't make much of a difference. Who knows? Um, but in general, um, disappointment, um, you know, I, I think would be a, would be a, a good summary of what happened last night, but also has like a very last day of school kind of vibe as well. If, I guess that's kind of the word I'm looking yeah. for is like, yeah, it's, it's like everybody's kind of, you know, you may not see some people again for a for for a long yeah. time. You know, some people are, are going to be going their separate ways, and they're saying goodbyes and you know things like that. And um, you know, you don't know what the future holds, so you want to you know make sure you tell people you know 
I appreciate you and, you know, we'll see you down the road perhaps. You know, one of the things you and I talked about before we started recording is, you know, Chris Finch in his, you know, final post game availability did talk quite a bit about, you know, optimism that the Gobert Towns pairing can work. And, you know, we saw maybe slightly better evidence of that in spurts in the postseason, certainly more than we saw at the beginning of the year. Um, we saw it in in some spots um, during the end of the regular season as well. The overall numbers don't so much bear that out, um, but you know he's he's at least saying the right things and saying that he can that he needs to do more and and can do more to get more out of that group, especially offensively. What what do you make of of that of that uh, set of comments from Finch? Yeah, it was uh, a little surprising that I think he said they have enough of a body of work to evaluate kind of what they have that, that surprised me a little bit. Cause I didn't, I didn't think that they did or that they might say that, but apparently the, what was it? Maybe 20 plus games plus the playoffs and, and things like that, that they played together was enough to kind of figure out where they need to go with this pairing um, to listen to Finch talk about it. You know, they're, it's not like they're going to be breaking this duo up anytime soon, We'll hear from Tim Connolly on Thursday when they do their exit interviews. And uh, we'll see what he has to say about, about everything going forward here. Uh, but Finch was very optimistic about, you know, this pairing and he, he's going to be spending the off season trying to come up with ways to, as he said, maximize their potential. Now, I don't know that that's what the fan base wants to hear as I, I think some people want to, want to blow it up. They want to cut their losses, trade one of them, figure, you know, figure it out from there. Um, but uh, at least from last night, the the tone is that this is going to be run back for another season. Yeah. And that, you know, it, I can see some of the logic of that. I also look at kind of, you know, the, the, the more immediate, um, you know, whether it's rational, irrational, stat based, whatever it is, you look at it and, you look at someone like Carl Anthony Towns, who's been here for eight years. He's been to the playoffs three times. They've won four playoff games, I believe, in his tenure, zero playoff series. You look at that and you say, is this, you know, is this a franchise player? You look at how the the pairing of the two bigs in a limited sample size, but one that that Chris Finch even himself says is representative or at least gives them enough to work with, uh, that that was not great. And then you look at some bigger picture salary stuff and I just I'm having a hard time figuring out now if you're going to build this whole thing around Anthony Edwards, which I think a lot of us agree at this point is is kind of if you're going to be great, it's going to be a team that's that's got Ant as your number one and, and everything needs to kind of fit around him. And just kind of looking at this from a salary standpoint and from a structural standpoint, you know, next year they're OK because, you know, Towns is still on his large but not ridiculous contract and and Jaden McDaniels are still on their rookie contracts they've got guys like Kyle Anderson still under contract for a a reasonable amount you've still got another year of Mike Conley under contract um, but you look at it in two years from now Chris Ant is going to be on a you know five-year probably 204 million dollar extension Jaden McDaniels might be on a five-year hundred million dollar deal Cat Supermax kicks in that's an extra 14 million a year that he's going to be making in 2024-25. Don't you feel like I'm like I'm not I'm speaking out loud, not not asking you, I'm not trying to convince you, but doesn't it seem like 
this might be the time from a practical standpoint to at least explore a town's trade because do you really want to be paying him $50 million in two years? And can you meaningfully upgrade the roster any other way except via a cat trade? Yes, it is the time to think about a cat trade. And I think I'll be exploring that uh, a little later. Um, But this is, I think this is the time to do it if you're going to do it and not next season when you have to figure out more salary potentially coming back in in a trade like that. Um, if one of the reasons why you're going to do it is a financial reason, um, you might have to trade him now and, and figure out a way to get some of that money off your books in two years. Right. Um, so, you know, you trade him and get some expiring deals in that potentially, or, or however you want to work it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the decision they have to make. And maybe you, maybe you punt it down the road for another year and figure out a way to do it then uh, because you want to give this a shot next season, which I think is probably what's going to happen. Um, You know, I think, I don't think that they are going to punt on the too big experiment uh, after just one kind of abbreviated look at at what it looked like because of Towns' injury. But yes, you know, from a from a bookkeeping standpoint, from a timeline standpoint, and 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 all that, it it, it does make sense to to seriously think about that um, moving forward. Um, so, but I, I I don't get the sense sitting here right now that that's what they're going to do at least this year. Yeah, and I, I get that. I think that's I think that's fair. And there always is that kind of halfway point between doing it this summer and doing it a summer after, which is, you know, some kind of trade deadline move when he's still on that contract that he's on right now, that gets complicated. You probably got less of a market than, than you do in an off season. But I I guess some of it does come down to, to what, what your internal belief is in how they can maximize these two players. You know, part of it to me is it seems like Ant at times has struggled offensively when both of those guys were on the floor. Now, you can look at this playoff series and say he kind of figured it out to a certain degree. He had, you know, those last four games of the playoff series, what he went over 33 times and he had 29, I believe in, in game five and was at least efficient enough, got to the basket a lot, things like that. So maybe he's closer to finding his space in in that offense. But to me, one of the, one of the things about this that, that, that kind of worries me is that does not feel like a too big lineup maximizes Anthony Edwards. Do you feel like they're getting closer to figuring out how to unlock him fully, even with those two bigs out there? A good question. And I think it's one of the most important questions that they have to answer, because I think ultimately number one on your priority list as a franchise has to be maximizing Anthony Edwards. And I think as we saw, I don't think this trade has done that. Uh, throughout the course of the season. Ant had his best stretch of the season when Carl was out, and that turned him into an all-star for the first time. He came back, and it took him a while to to get back in rhythm, and he found it for the playoffs. Maybe that has something to do with the matchup. You know, Nikola Jokic was not really challenging him too much at the rim when he was able to get there. Um, Other teams, that might be a, a different story. So I think the matchup in the playoffs was beneficial for Ant. Uh, to help him thrive, but on a night-to-night basis and potentially against other Western Conference opponents, I don't know that 
Ant necessarily has the same success with the current iteration of this lineup. So that's another thing I think this franchise has to ask itself is how are we helping Anthony Edwards become the absolute best player that he can become? And, you know, as of right now, I don't know that that answer is that they're, that they're really fully maximizing him. And I think he, in my estimation, is more important to maximize than Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on what, what the best path is forward. And, you know, I'm, I guess I would, I guess I would watch next year. I'm going to watch anyway, but I would watch another attempt at making the two bigs work. But I do feel like ultimately the best chance they have at an identity is built around Ant and then the defense of Jaden and Gobert and some other pieces around them facilitated by a cat trade, but we might not be there yet. And maybe they will, they will decide to stay the course and maybe that will prove fruitful enough that they try to keep this core together in another way. And what we saw again, though, in these playoffs and in part of the regular season, uh, Chris, is that as much as we talk about the big three or the, you know, the starters, you know, roster spots eight through 13 can be pretty important too. And I think you saw that in, in this series where, when their depth was tested, they just didn't have a whole lot of of kind of reserves to that they could really that they could really trust. And maybe you can say that about a lot of NBA rosters. I felt like the Wolves were kind of in this weird space this year where they were where, where they were deep until they got injuries, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But basically, like <laughs> you know, they're one through nine or they're one through ten. If if everybody was reasonably healthy, the rotation was pretty good. But once they hit some some tougher injury spots, they were. They were they were in some rough shape, and obviously, when you lose guys like Jaden McDaniels, Naz Reed, and then in Game Five, Kyle Anderson, you know, three guys that are in your top seven or eight players, you're going to suffer no matter what. But some of the bigger offseason decisions they have to make aren't just about Carl Anthony Towns or the or the the future of kind of the the big three. It's guys like Nikhil Alexander Walker who who showed up nicely after the D'Angelo Russell trade. It's guys like Naz Reed who is an unrestricted free agent guy, you know, backup point guard. I think is in play. How do you think they go about addressing those things this offseason, you know, with with, you know, the salary cap constraints that are going to be looming ahead uh, in mind as well? Just kind of looking at the landscape, I would expect Alexander Walker to probably come back. He's a restricted free agent to the Wolves control uh, whether they can match offers or not. Uh, Restricted free agency is always a, a dicey gamble for other teams to try and and enter. So um and i think the wolves really like him i think he likes it here he's gotten one of the best opportunities he's gotten recently in his career so i think that there's a lot of momentum there to have him come back um as for nasri that is the mystery of the offseason to me that is their that is the number one thing um that i i don't know what's going to happen there i tend to think that Nas is going to want to explore greater opportunity elsewhere where he can potentially be a starter for somebody. And if somebody's going to be throwing a decent amount of money at you and is going to say you, you're going to be our starting center, how do you say no to that? You know, here in Minnesota, you're still kind of behind two centers, you know, <laughs> yes. even, 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 even though b- before he got hurt, they were really integrating him more with Carl and with Rudy and his minutes were up and he was playing really, really well, like probably the best basketball 
he's played in his career came in the five or six games right before he got hurt. He was phenomenal um, over those last like two weeks there. Um, But, you know, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting dynamic because not a lot of teams are in the position where they have the cap room to offer him a lot of money above the mid-level exception. The wolves can, the wolves can do that because he's their own free agent and they have his bird rights. Right. There they are teams. They can offer him up to what four years and fifty-eight million until free agency starts, right? I'm not sure on the exact numbers uh, of all that. I'd have to dig a little deeper into that. But just in general, they can offer him more money than a lot of teams are going to be able to offer him just because of their cap situation. Um and not being able to really go above the mid-level exception. There are teams out there that can offer him a lot of money, and do and does somebody out there like Nas Reed enough and see him as a potential starting center that they're like, yeah, we'll fork over some of our cap space to sign you? Um, very possible. Very possible. I think he's got a lot of people that like him around the league. Um, and But I also think the Wolves really like him, and I think Tim Connolly really likes him too. So... I'd expect the Wolves to try to re-sign him. Um, whether or not he ends up re-signing here, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of questions around that. But I think ultimately, I think ultimately Nas wants uh, he wants the opportunity. You know, he wants to show what he's got on a night to night basis. And you know, I think he's here in Minnesota for as well as he was playing. He's one bad week from being out of the rotation or seeing his minutes cut. You know. Yeah. And if you go somewhere near the starting center, that's probably not going to happen to you. So a lot a lot to think about for Nas Reed for the Timberwolves and kind of how that all meshes together going forward. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty interesting because you're right. I would say too that if he does end up re-signing here, that could be at least a a signal or a or a precursor to how they're thinking about handling towns down the road or or not. So we can, you know, maybe we can infer that based on how Nas does. I mean, maybe it has nothing to do with it. If you sign somewhere else for more money, that's just. I mean, the the other thing you can do is you can re-sign Nas Reed to a multi-year deal and then trade him after yeah, one year. That's you know, true. That's that's something that can be on the table as well. And maybe he's a guy that can bring back some, you know, a year down the road, bring back some assets for you if his value is still pretty high around the league. Yeah. One thing I feel like they do, two things I feel like they need to address this offseason. One. They shot the ball okay this year. The volume of three points was was way down from, you know, they led the league in three-point attempts per game a couple years ago. And then this year, it was down more middle of the pack. Their percentage was okay. I think it was kind of close to middle of the pack. A lot of that's because their bigs shoot well. They just don't, they don't really have like that one or two guys that just really scare you. Um, at least among guys that are, you know, six, eight or shorter, a lot of their best shooters are like Towns and uh, and Naz Reed this year. And, you know, to a degree, some of those other guys can, can shoot it pretty well. Be nice to get some more scoring and shooting out of out of their kind of wing type players. And, you know, Jordan McLaughlin, let's not forget, it was one year removed from being the guy they trusted in game six of the playoffs against against Memphis and in a lot of other stages of that series. Did not look like himself this season. A lot of that was his own calf strain. How do you feel like they address that notion of backup point guard? And some of it seems like they kind of got around it this year by using a lot of Ant and and other guys as primary ball handlers to initiate their offense. But I don't know if that's always the answer. Yeah, I don't... 
he's going to be making such a low amount of money next season on a on a team option that it'd be hard to fathom them not bringing him back. Um, and, you know, like you said, the calf injury might have been a big part of why he never got back to fully being himself. Um, you hope maybe with an off season to recover, to rejuvenate and and to work out that he becomes kind of the the Jordan McLaughlin of, of last year and pre-injury. Um, but I do think that, you know, this is not me on, on any sourced information or anything like that, but just based on how much he will be making, which is like two million or right. so, give or take. Like I don't know how you how you not bring him back for for that amount of money. Um and but who knows? Um, you know, we'll see what else is out there. Um, Ant handled the ball, like you said. Kyle Anderson is a playmaker. You know, they're uh, Kyle Anderson will be back. He's on a two-year deal. Um, so he'll be back next season. And uh yeah, I, I haven't had the time to really dig into the the point guard situation, who might be out there or what's out there. Um, but I, I do I would expect, at least as of right now, that Jordan McLaughlin would be that option will be picked up at least. We saw a couple more things for you, Chris. We saw in, you know, a couple of minor, but important stints at, to a degree, um, their rookies, Wendell Moore jr. And Josh Minot got a little bit of run this year. And I don't, I don't imagine either one of those guys projected as major rotation contributors this season, but you no know, next year and beyond, they could become important, especially when you think about how they didn't have a draft pick in 2021. They don't currently have a first round pick this year as the result of the Gobert trade. Those guys are kind of it for their at least their own in in-house developed players. I know they got, you know, Luca Garza. He was a he was a second round pick a couple of years ago that that they got they brought in and he's maybe got a little developmental potential. But as you think of those two guys, you know, maybe not even quite next year, but, you know, 2024, 2025 beyond, does it seem like there is potential, a, a certain a certain ceiling that they can get to and, and maybe an organizational belief or thought of, of how those guys might project going forward? Yeah, I think so. I think they're pretty happy with the progress both made throughout the season. Uh, Finch mentioned yesterday that he thought Wendell Moore has done a good job of kind of figuring out how the Wolves will need him to play moving forward. And, you know, that's what the time in Iowa is for. Um, Minot has, I think, improved from uh, the day he got in the building and and trying to mold him into smooth out the rough edges of, of his game um, because the athleticism is, is there. The, the I think he's a really good rebounder, you know, and that's something that this team is going to need moving forward. And like you said, they they're going to need because of the cap situation. They're going to need guys who are on rookie type deals uh, and smaller contracts to really contribute moving forward if they're going to round out this roster. So, like you said, maybe not necessarily next year. You're looking for these guys to be major contributors, but a year after that, yes. I think you you'd like to see those guys cracking the rotation in two years when you have some of those some of those decisions that you need to make around the salary cap. Yeah. And final thing for you is um, you know, we've talked a lot about you know external improvement, ways to change the roster, guys that might be coming, going, you know, from as big as a, a potential towns trade to to kind of the minutiae of the back end of the roster. Um, I mean, probably the biggest thing that will dictate what happens next year is is some sort of 
internal improvement, probably the step forward they thought or hoped they would take this year in terms of maturity, in terms of being able to close out games. I mean, they still had, I think, 19 double-digit leads that evaporated into losses during the regular season. Um, the Lakers game in the play-in, it was another example of you know losing a late lead. Um, you know, even this Denver game in game five, it was a first, first quarter lead. So you put an asterisk by it, but they were up 15 in that game. And all of a sudden that was gone quickly. Some of that I think speaks to the, the thing that, that Chris Finch keeps, keeps harping on, which is kind of a maturity, kind of a, a mental toughness or awareness. And I, I don't know whether the habits are, you know, things like taking care of your body, not being up late, playing Call of Duty, or if it's in-game stuff. Do you have a your finger on the pulse of, of anything like that? Or kind of when, when they talk about this, those things, what do they mean? And, and what kind of what hope is there that those things become better, you know, even after they expected them maybe to get better this year? I think it's, it's probably more in-game things. I think you see problems just compound when when a team goes on a run and by that i mean you know let's say somebody you're you're up double digits somebody hits a three all right well you come down maybe you have a bad offensive possession somebody forces up a shot or you know forces up a three and then all of a sudden the other team's running in transition they get a layup and all of a sudden it's a five nothing run for them a 13 point lead is now down to eight yeah you come down you start playing a little tighter somebody tries to make a play because they want to stop the the bleeding and that ends up being a bad shot and all of a sudden they're running down the floor again and now it's a six point and kind of what happened in game four at the end of game four the other night you know like like ant Ant was trying to make a play make a shot and you know kind of save stem the tide save the run whatever you want you what you want to say and when you do stuff like that, you actually end up contributing to the other team's success more often than not. So I think it's just kind of managing runs, settling down, not getting flustered if a team makes two straight baskets on you, little little things like that. And, you know, just keep running your offense, you know, keep running what got you the lead in the first place. Keep playing like that. Um, and I think sometimes they get out of character, they get out of themselves, um often when that happens and you know with with a with a new group um you know a new group that's kind of played with each other for the first time uh especially after mike conley comes in and is the new starting point guard they're still trying to figure some of that stuff out um you know at the end of the day so we'll see we'll see with an off season if 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 most of the personnel is back next year We'll see if they're able to kind of iron out some of these issues in a, in a training camp or in the preseason. Um, and maybe next year is a little different, at least from that perspective. Well, it should be a fascinating off season, but fortunately there's at least a little bit of time here, Chris, where not much knock on wood should happen. You can take a little bit of a, a breather a couple months before the draft and free agency start, get some, get some much needed downtime, some well-deserved downtime. I'll leave you alone for a while as well. Um, I have a lot of TV shows that I have been just saving up to binge watch. uh, There you go. Now, and now I'm just going to be spending once, once I kind of clear this week, um, I will just be sitting in front of my TV, binge watching all these shows that I just have yet to watch like succession right now. Like I have successfully avoided all succession spoilers So I need to catch up because I want to watch the finale kind of live when it airs. So 
that's my that's number one on my off season to do list right now. Number two is obviously rewatching all eighty nine games, right? <laughs> uh, I said I wanted to enjoy my off season. <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, relive the, the pain of this of this of this season. Yeah, I, I'm just kidding. Well, Chris, appreciate it as always. We'll uh, yeah. we'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Postscript to my conversation with Chris Hine. Of course, I tell him to get some rest, and then like two hours after he and I talked, um, news is news breaks that Anthony Edwards has been cited for third-degree assault after police say he swung a chair and injured two women after Game 5 against the Nuggets Tuesday in Denver. Um, we've watched a little bit of what looks like the video of the incident. He swung that chair pretty good. I don't think there was any ill intent there, but um, he's, he's leaving the court after the game. Not a very mature moment for him in general because, A, you know, after a series, generally players stick around, you know, say, hey, that was a hard-fought series, you know, talk to their team, talk to their teammates, things like that. He bolted right after he missed that game-tying potential three-pointer, ran down the tunnel, and looked like he kind of you know, grabbed a chair as he was going down there and swung it, and apparently he injured people, maybe not seriously, but uh, there's some injuries along the way. Appear scheduled to appear in court June 9th in Denver, according to the Star Tribune story. I don't see this as something that's going to be lingering for very long. It doesn't seem like it's a very serious thing, certainly no ill intent, but you know, a, a, point, a, a final point right, of this season of of tempers flaring, of of this team needing to gain some sort of emotional control, a, a certain level of maturity, which Chris and I talked about. You know, obviously on top of the Jaden McDaniels punching a wall, also in a tunnel, by the way, and and Rudy Gobert taking a swing at teammate Kyle Anderson. You know, you've got that, you've got all those pieces along the way, and now this, the very last act of the season. You know, three seconds after the season ends, so. I don't know. I'm not going to make too much of this. I don't think this is a terribly serious situation, but it is a it is a another piece of this season, another piece in the growth of Anthony Edwards, and it's just good that nobody seems like they were seriously hurt because when you swing a metal folding chair like that, someone could have gotten hurt pretty seriously. So we'll see how this all transpires, but um, a learning moment, I think, for Ant more than anything else, and uh, we'll see if he is able to learn from it, and we'll see if next year's team is able to have a level of maturity that this year's team lacked. couple final things on the NBA note. Not great that uh, all this is happening. We're talking Wolves offseason right as Jimmy Butler's Heat and Tom Thibodeau's Knicks are advancing to the second round. Both of them 4-1 series wins. The Heat certainly more uh, surprising. Butler, another massive game. I think he had 42 Giannis returned for the Bucks, but it didn't matter. They, they they still could not handle Miami. Miami wins that series four games to one. Knicks win their series four games to one. Um, setting up to be a pretty good Eastern Conference semifinal between those two teams, uh, Jimmy and Thibs, going against each other in a certain way. I mean, Thibs obviously a coach. He's not going to be out on the court. That would be a little bit absurd. But uh, just the fact that they are going to be playing each other and one of those teams is going to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, that is pretty fun. So congrats to them. Uh, the years they had here were not terribly fun. I don't think anybody would say that. But um, you know what? It, it, to a certain degree, those guys have proven it more than uh, more than the team that's still sticking around here, and that's uh, that's a tough one to swallow to a certain degree. Finally, you're gonna be staying up late for Wild Game Six because Florida beat Boston, extended that series. Wild Game Six, eight thirty. At least it's a Friday. 
at Excellent Energy Center. You've got the time. You don't got to get up probably on Saturday, so you can make it. But that's going to push that start time way up, probably more like 8.45, 8.50 before that puck drops. So get your caffeine ready Friday. Get yourself ready for an elimination game. We'll see if the Wild are able to force a Game 7 late into Friday evening. That will do it for me here today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune will join me tomorrow to talk more wild and set up game six. And I'm sure I will have tons to say about whatever the Vikings do in the draft tonight. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.